Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Tim, and welcome to the Boston Sports Summit. I want to start off by saying, yes, it is it supposedly is 15 minutes late. The one funny part about it is I click I forgot to click the go live button. This is what happens when it's your very first episode and you're trying to figure it out. You think you have all, all of it ready to go, but hey, you know what? Rookie mistake, first episode, what are you going to do? But thank you so much for joining in. My name is Tim, and I am excited to be talking about my four favorite teams coming from my home city of Boston. We got the Patriots on tap. We're talking about Belichick and Mayo. We have the uh, Celtics on tap, who are the number one team in the NBA. We got the Bruins on tap, who have the most points in the Eastern Conference. And we are also going to be talking about the Red Sox, because the Red Sox are going into winter weekend having done absolutely nothing this offseason. And so... It's going to be an excellent fun show. I am so excited to get started. The Boston Sports Summit, it's going to be on the grid weekly, Wednesdays at 7. So tune in. Thank you so much for everybody for tuning in. I'm really excited. Now, to kick off the show, I want to talk about Bill Belichick. And first and foremost, Bill Belichick is one of the most important men in Boston sports history. There is no two ways about it. He is up there with the likes of Bill Russell, Red Auerbach, Larry Bird, obviously Tom Brady's up there, uh, Ted Williams, so on, uh, Patrice Bergeron, Bobby Orr, so on and so forth, right? Bill Belichick, what he's meant to this organization has been – Nothing short of a miracle. It has been nothing short of, you know, awesome, improbable. I mean, to have a dynasty the way New England did for the last 24 years, it's it's been unbelievable, to say the least. It really has been. And I really want to start off by thanking Bill. I really want to start off by thanking him because, you know, it, he was instrumental in assembling these teams, building up these game plans, keeping everybody you know in line, trying to make sure that they knew their job and didn't try to go overboard, which that's that's really it, you know And by having them do their job, going Tom Brady doing his job, Bill doing his job, uh, Edelman, Welker, Troy Brown. I mean, all the guys, McGinnis, Bruschi, they did their job and they won games. Between 2011 to 2018, the Patriots went to nine straight AFC title games, including several Super Bowl trips, resulting in three Super Bowl titles, 14, 16, and 18. It's been an unbelievable thing. And Belichick is a six-time Super Bowl champ. He's amassed 333 career wins, uh, which is 14 shy of Don Shula's. So from the bottom of my heart and all of Bo uh, the Boston fans, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
for making Patriot football not only relevant, but entertaining, but absolutely entertaining with Robert and Tom. Now, to get into the point that I think we all know and understand is I wanted Bill gone after this year. I did. That doesn't mean everything I just said what is a farce that I don't mean it. I truly mean that. But I also wanted him gone because I think the game has passed him by. If he wants to stay as a coach, go for it. But he's done coaching this team. The reason why I think he should have been done coaching this team is because the roster that we have, it is nowhere near prepared, nowhere near ready for uh, for a, a playoff run, let alone a Super Bowl run, you know, and all the back and forth that was going on between um, Bill and Tom, Bill and Robert, it's it, it was so so bad, so toxic that it had to end for everybody's sake. It really did. And before, so I want to talk about this Seth Wickersham article that just came out on ESPN because it's got some juicy tidbits in there. And But before I do that, I want to give a shout out to Rudy, who before the show even started talking about Boston to Austin, Rudy, it's, I hope you're, it sounds like you're a Boston fan. So hopefully you are, but let's go. You're in Austin. It's probably nice and warm down there. And also Patrick, appreciate you, brother. You know, I am pumped to be a part of the grid. They, the fact that the grid is letting me do what I do, be able to talk about Boston sports and give my perspective, give my takes on what is going on with my favorite teams. I am just so excited and can't thank them enough. So appreciate you guys commenting and don't forget, like, share, subscribe. As you can see in the bottom ticker here, you know, I am on YouTube. I am on Twitter. Uh, you can follow and Instagram. You can follow me uh, on my Instagram at Boston Sports Summit and on my Twitter at Boss, B-O-S Sports Summit because that is the – I couldn't get Boston as a full thing. And if you can hear my little puppy underneath biting my uh, table here. <laughs> but getting back to the Seth, Seth Wickersham story, talking about Belichick and the Patriots. First and foremost, on the very first page, you know, he writes that the people who loved him, that he hadn't merely beaten Kansas City, but also had beaten his old team after it had doubted him. T- talking about Tom Brady when he beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And that's so true. That is 100% true that, yeah, I think a lot of New England fans were rooting for Tom Brady because even the Patriots fans, you know, we all knew what a mistake it was letting him go. Now, granted, granted that team in 2019, Brady's final year, looked vastly different, vastly different from any of those championship teams. And that's really what was... Uh, a tragedy. It kind of looked like the Eagles did this year. The Eagles, who were, you know, the Super Bowl contenders last year, the tush push, 
was uh, unstoppable. Kind just didn't look right. And it started from game, day one when they played in New England and lasted all the way up until uh, up until now. You know, and that's the sad part um, with the Patriots. And in part of it, too, is the receiving core. We all know Belichick is not a fan of Divas. If you look at through Boston sports and the history, that's look at look at all the guys that are Divas. Randy Moss, you could argue really was one of the true Divas uh, on this team. And. What happened? We had to trade him. We had to trade him because Belichick didn't want to pay him, and it was a tragedy. Now, with Gronk, he yeah, he was definitely a diva. But with Gronkowski, again, Gronk had all the leverage in the world because he was going to play with – he only wanted to play with Tom Brady. And Brady, you probably used his power to say, no, you're not getting rid of this guy. So – that's really kind of what happened. And, and they all, at the end of the day, took Belichick's coaching, whether they liked it or not. And granted, they ended up hating it, which, of course, right? But the other thing, you know, I want to mention is that when you're going through the Seth Wickersham story, he talks, you know, he talks about how uh, Belichick said to Tom Brady, which this kind of got my eyebrow raised. He said to Tom Brady that he didn't blame him for leaving because he admitted in the meeting that the Buccaneers were better equipped to win than New England in 2020. If he knew that the Buccaneers were better equipped to win than the Patriots, then why the hell has he stuck to his more like his philosophy. The dude had to evolve and he never did. It was the same story. Granted, it worked for 19 years, you know, from when, uh, from 2001 all the way to 2019, it worked. And Tom Brady was the lead guy. Now the start of it was definitely bill, but the whole thing, um, got somewhat different because then Brady became his own and became the superstar that he is or was and took over, took over the team, you know? So that's really the thing. And Belichick drafting guys that didn't deserve to go the rounds that he drafted them in. Now, granted, he hit on a lot of, deep round picks, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and undrafted guys. I mean, Malcolm Butler, undrafted free agent, makes the game-winning interception in the Super Bowl. But a fun fact is that Belichick has not signed anyone that they drafted in the first three rounds since 2013. 2013? You have not given a second contract to anybody you've drafted in the first three rounds? The first three rounds are the guys that you have to hit on. You have to hit on. So when you're giving your second contracts to all the other guys, basically what you're telling me is that 
our our draft picks suck. That's that's what it is. Our draft picks suck. And that is probably the biggest tragedy of them all. And we got Jay chiming in. Bill Belichick sucks. <laughs> you know, Jay, I I don't want to say he sucks because I think that's overstating it. But what I will say is I think the game has passed him by. The game 100% passed him by. Now the Grid Network tap in, dare to be different. That's right. You know, very excited to be a part of here. You know, all even podcast, Barry, Boston Summit, let's go. I am here. Barry, thank you. And then Aaron, my buddy, what's up? Gerard Mayo got me fired up. Absolutely. Gerard Mayo just had his introductory press conference today. And there were some interesting things, but I'll get to that in a little bit. The other thing that kind of got me going when reading the Seth Wickersham article was the fact um, that Belichick was talking about how he traded uh, Mac Jones or wanted to trade, excuse me, wanted to trade Mac Jones. Belichick technically could have traded Jones, but ceded to his bosses. It was talked about that he didn't like him. He wanted to get rid of it, but Robert Kraft was so dead fast into it that it was, how could he, you know? And I don't think it would have gone through if Belichick even got a phenomenal deal. Let's say for all intents and purposes, it was Mac Jones for Justin Herbert straight up. Would the Chargers have ever done that? Hell no. Would Belichick have done that? No, but I'm just, for all intents and purposes, or better yet, Mac Jones for a first round pick, right? Mac Jones for a first round pick is even better. Why would Robert, why would Robert Kraft turn that down? He should absolutely take that deal, but because Robert was so, no, this is our guy. There was so already so much toxicity over the last four years, ever since the whole thing with Brady fell through. And I, I couldn't believe that, you know, I couldn't believe the fact that it was reported that Belichick already wanted to trade Mac Jones. There was talks. There was all these things, you know, being reported on how during this offseason, before training camp, Belichick went out of his way to not even mention Jones by name. He just talked about the quarterback room, the quarterback room. He never mentioned Jones by name. And then they enter the season with uh, Billy O'Brien as the offensive coordinator, hoping that Billy O is going to replicate what uh, Josh McDaniels did in 21, and he's going to get Jones back on track. But Mac Jones was already screwed up. Mac Jones was already lost. He was so done that it, it it was walking into an absolute disaster. Walking into an absolute disaster. And it even went further that the the um, the drift between Bill and Robert even extended to Jonathan. 
you know, Jonathan really took exception with Bill because Jonathan knew that Robert wants to be in the Hall of Fame. The whole thing with the Hall of Fame and how Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame as a contributor and Robert isn't. Which, again, I will admit that I am just as surprised as Robert Kraft that he's not in the Hall of Fame by now. He got passed up, uh, what was it, last year for his opportunity. Now has to wait, I think, until August to be in the running again. And, you know, Robert desperately wants that, which means he has to make everything look nice, right? He has to make everything look as great as it is. And even in the story, that's why Jonathan hates Bill is because um, the relationship between Jonathan Kraft and Bill was never strong and worsened because Jonathan was protective of his father's legacy and watched how Belichick refused to acknowledge him in the hallways and dismissed him as obsessed with optics, which, yeah, no duh. But watching that go on, obviously Jonathan's going to side with his father. He is. And I'm not trying to, but it's just, it goes to show that Jonathan, I think has a greater disdain for Bill than, um, than Robert does. So, and then the story goes on. It talks about how the coaching staff and personnel staff were, you know, at each other's throats. The personnel staff is going, see, that kid would have been elite if we had better coaches. And the coaching staff going, the personnel staff gave us no talent to work with, which on both, both were cards, I don't blame them. Uh, but it's, it was just, it was a wild, wild story to read through and just go and figure out all this rift that was going on between Belichick and the crafts between Belichick and Brady. It, it was basically a giant shot. At Bill. And then on top of it, last Thursday, uh, uh, Belichick, it is reported to the media that Belichick and the Patriots have a mutual parting of the ways. Now, if anybody believes that, you're just blind to what's going on because there's no way that there was a mutual parting of the ways. I mean, there were talks, you know, reports. Or, you know, midway through the season about possibility of, you know, Belichick being traded. But Belichick knows too well that he wouldn't want to go to a, a team that doesn't have a first-round pick or even a second-round pick at that because they traded it to get him. So the fact that Bill had one more year left on his contract and he's going to Robert going – you either are firing me or I'm showing up here and preparing for the 2024 season. And so I think the the reports were that it was supposed to happen uh, on Wednesday, but because Nick Saban got uh, retired, which that I think was kind of out of the blue, a little surprising, uh, but that Bill wanted to give his friend um, some time. So, you know, that whole thing, the mutual part of the ways – Obviously, super questionable. The uh, press conference between Bill and Robert being on the same podium, I thought, was something that 
was great for optics. Again, Kraft, Robert Kraft wanted to get in the Hall of Fame. It wasn't a firing. It was a mutual parting of the ways. Belichick, you know, saying his quick little speech, which, again, watching him do the Army-Navy uh, segment on college game day, I think really kind of showed Bill's true personality. And then to see him get up there, read his statement, but then when he talked about the fans and how much they meant to him and, you know, even traveling overseas, you definitely heard a quiver in his voice. And I I loved it. I really did because, you know, it, it shows that, again, the man has a heart. You know, as much as I wanted him gone and as much as it's, you know, been a crazy, you know, few years and now with the 4-13, and 13, I, you know, and I was glad to see him be let go. Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was definitely hard to watch that. Um, but it, it was, it was, it was well, well-deserved and glad that both Robert and to some degree, Bill uh, got their way. Now, Bryson, first episode, my man, congrats. Thank you. Whoever hires Belichick cannot allow him to take control over personnel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, with what has gone on between Belichick uh, and the personnel staff, he's, he's reached, he's reached on too many guys and clearly the way this team has been playing, it shows Uh, Aaron, who we drafting at QB, QB or bust. You know what? I, I will say this. Um, I don't like Caleb Williams. You know, I, I will get to that uh, as the draft gets closer. But if I had to pick right here, right now at three, I would either hope that Drake May is available or I would go with Marvin Harrison. I go with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, but like I said, the close of the draft day comes, well, I'll definitely be talking about that. Patrick, the urgency for New England to win is now moving on from Bill. Yeah, it's they have so much cap room that they're, I think, the fourth most cap room or um, second most cap room this free agent period. And New England, on the other hand, is also spent the least amount of real money. Now, the cap is you can move around all the numbers. There is no such thing as cap jail when it comes to the NFL. And But New England, in terms of spending real money, they're dead last. So, yeah, I'm, they they can turn this around as long as they actually go after – top free agents clutch sports welcome to the great appreciate it man uh hey jimmy what's up good to see you thanks for you know watching tuning in appreciate uh yep oh yeah old neighbor yeah i'm i'm so excited to be doing this i appreciate you tuning in patrick bring back bill o'brien no it obviously didn't and d help d hop i think could have helped a little bit could have made uh some key catches that would have turned the tide for a few games, but ultimately, you know, they they didn't want they didn't want to spend the money, and Belichick was probably acting like Bill. He was hardballing them, so stupid. And clutch sports, all good things come to an end. Yep, absolutely, they do, and it's evident. So with all good things coming to an end, here is Gerard Mayo at his introductory press conference. His craft. Last week was so grateful towards Bill that when this press conference started, there were a lot of shots at Bill. 
Now, I don't know if you guys heard it, but one of the things that stuck out to me stuck out to me was when Gerard retired, he he, he talks about going to Optum to work, which again, Optum is a massive sponsor for the New England Patriots. Um, but he, all of a sudden he's working for Optum. And in today's introductory press conference, he talks about how he went to, he had to take a break from Bill. He specifically said, I had to take a break from Bill. Where the hell did that come from? You know, I understand Bill is a tough coach to, to play for. That's been a thing for a very long time. He played, you know, from 2008 to, what, 2015? Uh, you know, so uh, Gerard knows all of this stuff with Bill. And granted, it was actually nice to hear because, hell, it's a story, right? It's a story where, oh, my God, a coach actually in New England actually said something worthwhile. Um but to sit there and say, oh, I need to take a break from Bill. And it was just off the cuff, just casually. I'm looking back, I don't know if he would regret saying that or not, but there was Kraft and Gerard taking a few shots. It, it hasn't even been a week since Bill's firing. And all of a sudden, these were the shots that were being taken uh, at today's press conference. I... I was surprised. I really was for Robert Kraft, who I just, you know, went on a rant about talking about he needs to, he's obsessed with optics and how he wants to get into the pro football hall of fame. How can you sit there and say, you're going to mutually part ways, even though you fired bill. And yet on the other hand, you were taking shots. The new head coach is taking shots. The new head coach played for him took the break, and then worked for him on the defensive side of the ball since 2019. So I, I thought that was crazy. But the the thing that I have with Gerard Mayo, now it's nothing against Mayo. I am actually excited to have Gerard Mayo because I loved him as a player. And I think he has the ability to reach the uh, young players of today because this generation – is wildly different from the days of Ted Johnson and Willie McGinnis. Back then, it did it. You could be an asshole of a coach, and yet it, uh, and yet they followed your orders. But today, if you have that same mentality as a coach and bring it to the players of today, they're going to tell you to f off and go, you know, and want to get traded, be released, whatever. You know, it's a wild, wild world we live in. So with Gerard, I think he's got a great opportunity to reach these younger players on a different level than Bill ever could. Not to say that the younger players hated playing for Bill because when he got fired, there are a lot of those young guys coming out talking about how what a great coach he is and how exciting they are to, uh, to have played for him. But... The thing that scares me with Gerard, you know, is that how much of everything is status quo, right? How much of every, how much of what we have watched for the last 24 years is going to remain the same because a Belichick disciple, 
not only was the Mike linebacker uh, playing for him, but also was on only coached with Bill. How much of that is going to stay the same? Because that's what scares me. If we brought in Vrabel or Harbaugh, um, or this would have never happened, but if we brought Pete Carroll back to coach, uh, it would have been different. If we got Ben Johnson, the OC in uh, Detroit, to be the head coach, then I can sit there and be like, well, hey, something new, something different. Let's see what happens. You know, I, I would certainly have no idea. But with Gerard Mayo, that that's what scares me is because everything with status, everything is the same. And now they're talking about the GM search and how they're going to have to name a guy, but it's going to be Mac Rowe. I hope not. Is it going to be Elliot Wolf? At least with Elliot Wolf, he worked. He he was a part of the Packers. You know, he he was somewhere else, learning or learning and scouting for them. So, I mean, that's that is the weird part. And then the report comes out that Mayo is close friends with Belichick's kids and offered an opportunity for them to stay. Now, if I were them, I think it would be a good idea to stay just because it's a great way to get out from under your father. I mean, the story with Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, working with his dad, Mike, the only way that Mike Shanahan uh, would ever hire Kyle Shanahan is if he ran a top five offense in the NFL, in which he did, and then ended up working for him. But everybody looked at it as, oh, that's Shanahan's kid. That's Shanahan's kid. It didn't matter that Kyle ran a top five offense elsewhere before working with his father. So I really hope that the Patriots can go outside the box, can bring in a DC from another team or you know, a linebackers coach, a D-line coach, whoever, that would be the DC for the New England Patriots because I, I just need – new blood. I need fresh blood because what I've seen the last four years, you know, it's, it's been the same thing over and over again. And I really hope that even the GM when he gets his job um, is somebody new. It's not Elliot Wolf. It's not macro. But as we heard in today's press conference, Robert Kraft, loves 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 bringing people in from within he loves raising people's levels from within he hates going outside bringing guys and i don't know i think that's really kind of one of the biggest scams because sometimes you need new thoughts you need fresh continuity and i think that's that's the thing that's why i'm i'm so afraid of it and that's why i was talking about how Kraft and mayor were taking shots at bill because they put all the onus on bill they put all the onus for where this team is at on bill and again is it true 
Yes, because Bill was the guy. You know, all the decisions, all the choices had to go through Bill. You know, in in the Seth Wickersham article, they talked about how Bill, uh, the, the scouts were saying that we want this guy, we want this guy. But then Bill went with another guy. So how true is that? I don't know. But it's putting all the onus on Bill and Robert trying to absolve himself saying, hey, I, I it, this was his team. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to do what's best for me and the organization. But now he doesn't have a guy to fall back on anymore. Now he doesn't have a guy that can take all the blame. Now, from here on out, starting today, Wednesday, January 17th, 2024, every single decision, every single victory, every single loss will be placed solely on Robert Kraft. If they don't spend money in free agency, that's going to look really bad on him because you're you're essentially telling your fan base that, no, this roster is good enough to win, which – I think we all know it's not. They have to find a quarterback in this draft. I think they also have to find a veteran quarterback who can help mentor the uh, the drafted quarterback. Because look at what Jordan Love has done in Green Bay. And even Jordan Love's predecessor, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat for three years under Brett Favre, and look how that turned out. Jordan Love sat for three years under Rodgers, and now look where they're at. NFC Divisional Round against San Francisco with the youngest roster in the NFL. So I think the Crafts are going to be on the hot seat because a lot of the blame when Tom left was put on Tom. Now a lot of the blame with Bill being gone, with Bill being fired, has been put on Bill. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, This past press conference, I think, was enlightening to some degree uh, with Kraft and Mayo. But at the end of the day, both men didn't answer the questions, the the important one, meaning who's going to have the final say with free agency and who's going to have the final say on the draft because you have the number three overall pick. This is the highest pick in Robert Kraft's tenure as owner of the Patriots. His first was the number fourth overall pick, and that's where they drafted Willie McGinnis. So now with the number three overall pick and this organization basically teetering, you have a top 10 defense and your offense absolutely blows. So who's going to have the final say? Bill was the guy to do that. But now, that's, that is big. And, of course, both men sidestep that question very easily, and rightfully so, because, let's face it, they have no freaking clue who's going to be that guy. They really don't. And – I hope it's not Jonathan, but 
Is are the crafts going to be exactly like the Jones family? I think we'll just have to wait and see on that. Cowboys can fam. Thank you so much. Welcome to grid. I'm pumped. I was actually watching you guys during the green Bay Dallas game and woof, that was, um, yeah, tough. Wasn't easy. And you guys put on a great show. I, I will say. So, uh, thank you for, for that. Aaron, Derek White, second best player on the Celtics, but no one is ready to have that conversation. Yeah, I am absolutely with you. Derek White has been unbelievable, and we'll get to that uh, shortly. Pat, with the QB draft pick is going to make or break whoever the OC is, has to involve and develop your future franchise quarterback. There's options, but that pick is crucial. Absolutely. Absolutely, the pick is crucial. And look, Josh McDaniels, I thought did a great job mentoring uh, Mac Jones that first season. Now, did Mac Jones have, uh, you know, carte blanche right away? No, he didn't. But what ended up happening was Josh McDaniel slowly built Mac Jones and gave Mac Jones options that he needed. And it was successful, hence making the playoffs his first year. And then, of course, bringing in Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as co-OCs. Uh, and Matt Patricia never coaching offense was just stupid, absolutely stupid. And Aaron, Jordan Love looks incredible. Mahomes sad as well. Absolutely. Should be the new standard. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 look at all the great quarterback, most great quarterbacks, I should say, sat, Tom Brady sat behind Drew Bledsoe. And he's had it for a full year. And then, of course, Bledsoe gets injured and the rest is history. Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith. It, there are so many stories like that. And, of course, it just goes to show that, you know, rookie starters, especially when they are top picks in the draft, have such big heads and big egos that it's, yeah, they, they should sit more than they start. Let's just, let's just put it to you like that. They need to sit more than start. But next, I want to talk about the Celtics. As Aaron brought up, Derek White, arguably second best player on the Celtics. Derek White has, is, I would say, probably the most cerebral player in the Celtics, like on the Celtics right now. The way he sees the game is head and shoulders – I think above everybody else. And because he sees the game like that, it makes him look smarter and puts him in the right positions more than everybody else. And the one thing I will say with this team is that they honestly look determined, which actually surprised me because I thought these guys would just be the same old story day after day same team, you know, their third quarters aren't great. And that's going to make a break. They'll start off hot in the first half. And then when the team punches back in the third quarter, all of a sudden the Celtics crumble. That's what went on a lot last year, especially under Joe Missoula. On top of the fact, too, you had the whole Ime Udoka situation, you know, trying to figure out, damn, who the coach is, coaches are coming, coaches leaving. You know, I think that was a thing. But this team looks possessed. They are going for 
20 straight home victories this season, which I couldn't believe this stat when I heard because I knew the 1986 Celtics lost once at home all season, including the playoffs, lost once. And this Celtics team, it, it did something that 86 team couldn't do, which is win 18 straight home regular season wins to start the season, which is wild, absolutely wild to me that it took them, it, it, this storied franchise, even when it was Bill Russell and they were playing, you know, nobodies uh, and only six teams, something like that in the NBA, you know, eight teams, 12 teams, however many teams there were back in the 60s under Bill Russell days, they never won 20 or 18 straight home games. And this team is going for number 20 against the first overall pick, Victor Wembanyama in the Spurs right now. Currently winning 25 to 19 with 338 to go in the first. This, like I said, I'm loving the way this team is playing right now. You know, they swept the season series uh, against the Raptors on Monday, winning 105 to 96, and are sitting atop the NBA, having only nine losses. And they pulled off, I thought, a gutsy win against uh, Minnesota at home uh, just last week, who – they are the second best team, two and a half games behind you in the entire league, which, again, I think that's also surprising too. Minnesota Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards, Carl uh, Anthony Towns. That's, that's a surprisingly good team. And in both games, you know, the two games you played went to uh, overtime. You know, you lost the first one in Minnesota in overtime, but this time you won. So at least you split that series. But yeah, I mean, the way I feel like the Celtics are playing 19 and 0 at home, 12 and 9 on the road, they look so much better. And one of the things that I will say that I. I was totally against this guy for almost as long as he was a Celtic. Um, that sounds bad, but it really wasn't. Marcus Smart, I think, was one of the most overrated Celtics players in Celtics history. I remember when he first was on this team, how many threes he took. And every single time he shot, I would scream at my TV or if I was at the game, I would scream at him yelling, no, <laughs> just no, like, what are you doing? Because nine times out of 10, when he first started, he missed. And then, of course, he got better as the years went on. But the Celtics fans, you know, my, myself, like, I am absolutely a diehard Celtics fan, but I'm also a realist. I also can see that what he was able to do on defense, which was great. He was able to lead this team as a team, you know, as a team captain and play such strong defense. 
but he his his ability to perform on the offensive end, I thought, couldn't hold up. And the way he talked about himself, the way he carried himself, especially with Brown and Tatum here, and as they got older, with them going on, I was like, I don't, I don't like this guy. I am done. I am done with the Marcus Smart experience because Marcus Smart was writing checks. His ego, like his ego was writing checks. His talent couldn't cash. It didn't matter that he had all these. Um, it didn't matter that he had all these threes that he's up there in three pointers all time in Celtics history. Who cares about that? At the end of the day, Marcus Smart, I honestly thought, was one of the biggest reasons why this team kept underperforming year after year after year. And sure enough, I, I, I think I was right. I think I was right because now it looks like Tatum and Brown are taking more of a leadership role, especially Tatum, which he absolutely should because he is the guy. Sorry, Jalen, but Jason is the guy. And I love the addition of Drew Holiday. You know, Aaron, I appreciate that. Holiday is so much better than Smart, too. Absolutely. 100%. When Holiday got traded to Portland, I thought no way that he was going to be coming here. But then, of course, we send um, uh, Robert um, – <laughs> Time Lord. We sent Time Lord out to Portland and get Drew Holiday in return. And unfortunately, like I loved, I loved Time Lord. I thought he was great, but his body just couldn't handle it. And so that's why um, I was pumped. I was excited to see Drew Holiday be a part of this team. Christoph Porzingis. I liked Porzingis, but again, similar to Time Lord, I thought his injury history was suspect. He had his best year last year. You know, he played his most games. He had his uh, most points per game. And so I was like, great. You know, I think he can be a good player, but will he last? Will he make it to uh, April and June? You know, that's really what matters most. You know, I, I, I love the regular season accolades. They're great and all. But are you bringing home a banner? Are you reaching the top of the summit? That's what really matters. And right now, with this team being 31-9, and you know, 19-0 at home, trying to go for 20 straight games, it's it's been an unbelievable run. And De like, like I mentioned earlier, I think Derek White is not the second-best player on this team. But I also feel like Derek White has become my favorite player on this team just because of – what he's how he sees the game. I mean, game six against Miami, people forget he inbounded the ball and then made his way underneath the bucket right as Tatum, oh no, right as Smart missed that final shot. And White was able to just tap it off the glass and in in order to force the game seven. So I thought that was great. And again, heads up play right there. That's all heads up play because he could have just inbounded the pass and then just 
you know, casually walked in knowing Smart was going to be the, the guy to shoot it last. But no, he followed the ball and was able to single-handedly force game seven. So I'm excited to see how far this Celtics team can take it. But don't get me wrong. This team is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They've been playing great. They've had some interesting losses, like that loss to Milwaukee and Joe Missoula sat all the starters the second half because they were coming off a back-to-back against that tough game against Minnesota in the at the TD Garden. And then they have to fly over to Milwaukee, change time zones in order to play the Bucs that night. Why would you do that? Now, if you wanted to flip it and do – well, flip it. I mean, Minnesota's a good team now. But if you wanted to do like the Wizards that night or a crap team uh, like the Grizzlies, you know, if you want to do them that night, then fine. That makes sense to me. But don't make it a marquee matchup for the Celtics to be second – to have uh, to have second on a back-to-back where they got to change time zones uh, and the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks played them on Thursday. They hadn't played since Monday. So while Boston played Wednesday and Thursday and traveled on Wednesday night into Thursday, Milwaukee was home on Monday, played, played, a, played a game, and then had Tuesday and Wednesday off to play Boston. So I don't take that blowout as a, oh, man, Milwaukee has our number. I really don't. I think that they were tired. It was shown and evident. So, so yeah. So I, I'm just thinking that that's, that's, you know, I don't want to say a good loss, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me any stretch of the imagination. And the whole Jalen Brown getting – you know, sideswiped against Indiana, losing that game the way they did. I think the refs just being the refs. I, you know, I hate to call out the refs for bad penalties or, you know, missing blatant calls. But I think they missed that one. And even going to replay, there was no clear cut evidence that, uh, he hit the ball first and then hit Brown's head. And secondly, how is it that you can hit the ball first and then hit a player's head? And that's fine. But you can't lean into a block shot for fear of them falling on you, like landing on your foot. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of ass backwards at how soft I think the NBA has become, you know, and I understand it's the modern game. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to do the, you know, do this, do that because the worst case scenario was Kevin McHale clotheslining Kurt Rambis in the 84 finals. And that was just a regular follow. Now shouldn't have been obviously not, but <laughs> that, you know, there has to be a fine line. You know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've had this trouble over, you know, the last 10 plus years 
with really enjoying the sport of basketball. And don't get me wrong, I love basketball. I played it growing up. It was one of my favorites to play that football and baseball or my favorite sports playing them. But watching how the league is turned, plus with the whole Tim Donahue sandal that happened, I mean, how can how is this okay? You know, how can we go from, you know, the Jordan rules where Detroit would forcibly keep Jordan on the ground to now, you know, you try to block a guy's shot. And two things. One, you have to make sure that you don't land in his landing space. And two, that if he releases the ball and the ball is the ball is here, your fingertips are here. How do I do this? Oh, there we go. And you, after the ball is off the hand, you then tap the fingertips or tap the bottom of the wrist. That's a foul. You know, like, it's common sense to play through, at least that. That's kind of what bothers me about the NBA right now. But that doesn't mean I'm not paying attention to the Celtics. doesn't mean I'm not, you know, enjoying the game. Uh, well, I am enjoying the game, but it, it is harder to enjoy the game when I've watched, you know, Paul Pierce and Kobe Bryant, all these guys. And don't get me wrong, Paul Pierce with his little pump fake and then dive into you. I, I 100% admit, absolutely cheap way to get a call. But it worked every single time. No two ways about it because Paul Pierce skirted the rules. So I'm at the end of the day, I'm really enjoying what the Celtics are doing. I love Derek White. I, I think this starting five is arguably the best starting five in the NBA as it stands. And they're 100% proving it. Right now, currently have an 11-point lead over the Spurs early in the second, 40-29. to 29. We could see history right here. 20 straight home wins. The Celtics team feels like a freaking wagon right now. Now I want to talk about the Bruins. I want to talk about some hockey. All right. They had a wild road trip uh, last week where they uh, finished off in St. Louis. They played Arizona and they finished off at St. Louis. They went 1-0-3 on this road trip. Now, hearing that, hearing that, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, my God, what an awful road trip that was. When in reality, I don't think it was. I don't think it was as bad as you might think. The reason why is because they garnered three points from the first three games of the road trip, which is okay, meaning they went to overtime and either lost in the overtime or lost in a shootout. In one of the shootouts, David Pasternak had that um, that lazy penalty shot attempt. And everyone wants to say, oh, well, nobody was talking about the, the one where he just, you know, twisted his hips and, you know, flicked it on without, without the goaltender even knowing. But at least he moved. At least he flipped his hips to get that momentum to spin him 
going towards the goaltender. That's what caught the goalie off guard was the fact that he turned his body and then used his momentum to fire that puck rather than his arms and the stick. Secondly, I thought it, I thought it was a better road trip than you might think because they got five out of a possible eight points because winning in St. Louis with that questionable, um, not the goal, the goal was blatant as day. It's, Pasternak not being flagged um, or called for tripping to, in order for McAvoy to get the puck in the neutral zone to shoot it right over Bington's uh, glove side or blocker side. It was – and just Bington's reaction, just the head up like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe I lost. Loved it. Loved every second of that because I can't stand – Jordan Bennington. I think he's a bum, not a bum, but um, a tool bag. There you go. Absolute tool bag. Uh, dating back to the 2019 cup finals still makes me mad that we lost that. Uh, so having the five of the possible eight points is big because that means the Bruins are still sitting atop the Atlantic division, which means they're still sitting atop the Eastern conference and currently sit, sit atop the Eastern Conference with 61 points, three points ahead of the Metro-leading Rangers, who have 58. So the fact that they were able to get points, get a majority of points from that road trip than not, is, again, clutch. It's huge. Though one thing was, one scary bit was when they played Arizona – Allmark left the game with a lower body injury, and I think we were all fearing the worst because that would mean no more bear hug between uh, Swayman and Allmark, right? So it was it was a scary scary thought. Um, not to say that I had zero faith in Swayman. Absolutely not. If anything, I want Swayman as the number one, and Allmark is the number two. That's what I want. And it's not because of how Swayman's played the last couple of games since Allmark's injury. No, no, no. I've I wanted that dating back to the offseason. I was kind of pissed that the Bruins took him to arbitration. But hey, let's face it. This team and their history with arbitration, I mean, they put one of the greatest defensemen in NHL history, Raymond Bork, through arbitration. So lately, there seems to be a thing with Boston owners and how absolutely cheap they are. Absolutely cheap. The Patriots are last in spending real hard money, not cat money, hard money. The Red Sox, which I'm going to get to later, are a joke when it comes to spending money. And the Bruins took... I think arguably their best goaltender to arbitration, all because he was uh, Allmark's backup and was commanding starter money, but they wouldn't give it to him. And speaking of Swayman commanding starter money, he will be joining David Pasternak in the All-Star game, which I love. 
I love the fact that Swayman made it, you know, because he deserved it. He's an unbelievable goaltender. And like I said, I think deserves the starting uh, goaltender spot over Allmark. But I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think Montgomery would do that. They're very comfortable right now switching back and forth, making it look like there is no number one. And I think that has its good and bad things because there were talks about how um, come this playoff run, they're going to do the exact same thing. And if they go back and forth, what? how is that going to work? How is that going to work? So, uh, but when Swayman was talked about, or asked, excuse me, when Swayman was asked about making the All-Star game, how it, how it made him feel, I thought he made an interesting quote. Quote, after dealing with what I did in the summer with arbitration, hearing things a player should never hear, it feels pretty special to be in this situation. Which I can't believe that they did that to him. You know, they're trying to tell him that he's not as good and he's trying to prove that he is, you know, as good as what he commands. And again, this team just being freaking cheap. What are you trying to do? You know, kind of going back to that continuity, I wanted to keep Bruce Cassidy over Don Sweeney. But, of course, we didn't get that because Bruce Cassidy hurt Jake DeBrus' feelings. If they kept Bruce Cassidy, David Krejci would have never come back. Sorry. Sorry, David. You know, you should have enjoyed retirement because I would have kept Bruce over uh, um, Don Sweeney. But why I'm mentioning Don Sweeney is because he's the one that brought Swayman to arbitration. He's the one that did all that on top of the Jacobs family, of course. So the fact that the Jacobs family and Don Sweeney did that to their, in my opinion, their best goaltender, I think is absolutely atrocious. And I'd be saddened if that he, if he leaves because he feels spurned by this organization. And I wouldn't, and I wouldn't blame him to be honest with you. I wouldn't blame him. I would, I need, I want him to stay. I would, you know, I would love it if he stayed, love it if he became the top goaltender. I would have traded Allmark after this season because, you, I, let's face it, he. I thought he had his best season, no two ways about it. There is nothing better he could have done last season and, and for what he can do in future seasons. So I would have traded him. I would have tried to get a great – uh, draft pick out of it. And now I don't know the draft as much as not that I don't know the draft, but I, I, I don't know if any other GMs were trying to uh, were offering high picks for Allmark. But if they weren't, then I think they were doing the right thing, to be honest, because again, I think the guy just played out of his mind last year. And it's sad that Swayman has to deal with all of this. You know, arguably, you know, one of the top goaltenders in the Eastern Conference went through that, and now he's being rewarded, you know, for being an all-star. So he's looking at his contract, looking at the arbitration going, see, told you. Told you I'm better. And guess what? 
now you're going to have to play against me because I'm going to hit free agency because I'm not signing with you. Now, has he said that? No. And I hope he doesn't. I hope he does stay here. I hope he becomes a, a, a lifelong Bruin. I really do. But it's probably in the back of his mind. And that absolutely scares me. Now, it's understandable you can blame COVID and the salary cap never going up because the NHL had uh, a funky deal with the Players Association and the salary cap didn't raise and is expected to raise for the first time in uh, a couple years at this upcoming free agency period. So it's going to give teams uh, a lot more salary cap room because while players' salaries have gone up, uh, the salary cap has remained the same, and that's going to make it hard for teams to keep uh, a lot of their good players. Look at look at Tampa Bay. You know, from their first Stanley Cup team, you know, in 2020 to now, it's it's night and day. I mean, yeah, they still have a lot of their key pieces, but they've lost a lot of good pieces. Ryan McDonough, Alex Kalorn, they've lost a lot of good pieces, especially on the blue line. And now – with Swayman being announced for an all-star, he played – he was the starter for the game against the Devils on Monday and absolutely dominated. I thought the Bruins came out strong against New Jersey. New Jersey's not a bad team either. The problem with them is they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now and a lot of key, key injuries, which is why they currently are sitting second to last in the Metro Division with 47 points. But they're only 11 points behind uh, the Metro leading Rangers. So they could very easily make it into the playoffs. They're going to have to start winning games. They're going to have to start getting healthy. But there's no doubt in my mind that, that, that they can do that. And so with the way the Bruins played against that team, they came out hot with a hell of an opportunity 14 seconds in. And both goaltenders, Doss especially, I thought, you know, even though he did give up uh, two, you know, key goals, obviously for the Bruins because they won 3 nothing in a shutout, Doss played a heck of a game. And it felt like after the first period, the Bruins were, weren't going to figure him out. It, it, you know, it felt like they were it was going to be a scoreless game and the first one to score wins. Well, it didn't go down like that. But the Bruins, you know, quickly in the second were able – to get that goal just 30 seconds in from the hometown kid, Charlie Coyle, and the rest was history. You know, they they played a good game. New Jersey didn't make a comeback. They did fight hard. But when all was said and done, um, Boston played harder, and they ended up with the victory. Again, holding that 61 points in the NHL, which is third most in the league and highest in the Eastern Conference. So both Celtics and Bruins playing at the TD Garden are just absolutely dominating right now. And it's it's fun to see. It's fun to watch because even though the Pats had a shit year this year, they at least uh, at least we have the Celtics and the Bruins to keep us going all the way, hopefully, through June because I I want to delay as 
much as I can this Reds upcoming Red Sox season. I love baseball. I love the Red Sox. I love going to Fenway Park during the summer, getting uh, uh, um, <laughs> sausage, peppers, and onions, uh, you know, with a, a nice cold beer. It's, it's a great feeling. It's a great park to be at. But with the way this ownership is treating this team since 2018 has me through the roof. I, I want to stop. I really do. I really want to stop being a Red Sox fan full knowing that I can't do that. Not because I have the show, but because it's just not in me. I'm too damn loyal to do that. But that's what has me going crazy about this team. Because the ownership since 2018, that team won it all with Chris Sale, Mookie Betts, Ben Attendee, Mitch Moreland, Christian Vasquez, Xander Bogarts. They had such a great, well-rounded roster. They were paying a good amount of money for them but it was rightfully earned, rightfully deserved. And they won the most games of any Red Sox team in the history of that team. And the history of the Boston Red Sox is like the Boston Celtics. It is immaculate. It is longstanding. Yes, there was an 86-year drought, but that didn't mean there weren't Hall of Famers that came through and wore the Red Sox jersey. Ted Williams, Jim Rice, Carl Yastrzemski. Um, yeah, you're going to laugh at me when I say this, but Bill Buckner was a good player, was a very good player. He just got caught up in the wrong – he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. you know. But if you look at his stats, he was a very, very good ball player. Um, but, the, you know, the 2018 team – was arguably the best team in Red Sox history. And they had one of the youngest, brightest stars in, in Major League Baseball, in Mookie Betts. <laughs> and yet, you traded him for, for pennies, pennies on the dollar. And don't even give me the fact that Verdugo was a solid player because he was a bum. He sucked. You know, it wasn't entertaining to watch him. And plus this past year too, how he was just all over the board, showing up late, getting suspended. It's it's no problem. It's no, um, no surprise that that's what happened. You know, it's no surprise that he got suspended and all of that went to hell. But this ownership dismantled that team systematically and then ended up giving Cora shit teams, you know, and that 2021 team that made it to the ALCS, I think they played out of their shoes because they knew that ownership and upper management didn't invest in the team the way they should have. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the Kyle. I love having Kyle Schwarber. 
you know, on this team. But we got him while he was still injured. And it was almost like a throw-in. So with that, it, obviously it's not gonna it's not gonna go good. You know, obviously he, he was he was worth pennies on the dollar and then performed well. And then, you know, Red Sox ownership was like, now nah, we're not gonna pay you. Which was stupid. He wanted to be here. He wanted to play for the Red Sox. But we pissed him away. And now, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, you have Tom Warner coming out saying that they're going to go full throttle this offseason. Now, Tom Warner is a freaking boob. He is an absolute punching bag for John Henry when it comes to the Red Sox. It's going full throttle. And then what? You think it's good to put in to the, the Boston Globe, which John Henry, you own. It's good to put the reports out there that you were interested in Shohei Otani. You were interested in Yamamoto. You were interested in you know, trading for Juan Soto after the way you've treated this organization the last, what, now six years? 2018 to 2024? You think we're stupid? No. LA fans, that's a whole different ball game. I, I would argue they are. No. <laughs> but no. Um like no, we're not stupid. We hear everything you say. We know everything you say. We read everything you say. And then when you want to claim, oh, we were interested. Oh, we were interested. Oh, we were close, but we were interested. Well, guess what? You didn't sign the guy. Because why? Oh, my God, we had to spend real money on a player who, mm, let's face it, you know, I don't want to spend money. I'm more focused on making the Red Sox my portfolio project, a team that I really don't care about, where I want to spend money for Liverpool. I want to go out and buy the Pittsburgh Penguins, which I love the fact that the Boston Bruins beat Pittsburgh in Fenway last year. But... No, you want to you wanna have this as a part of your portfolio. That's the problem that I have. You spent most of my life turning the Boston Red Sox in, first of all, we are a big market organization, but turning them into the big market owner organization where you took your Johnson out and put it on the table and said, all right, New York, come on. Come on, Yankees, outspend us. Steinbrenner, you're not going to do it. And then you and then you got great players out of the deal. You also got some bad players, Pablo Sandoval, Kyle Crawford, which I think you gave up a little too early on Crawford, but um, you know, but other guys, you got you got Manny Ramirez, you got Josh Beckett. You traded away your future to have the 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 major league team win. That's what matters. I don't care if you have the first, the best prospects, farm system, or the worst. If you have the worst and the Boston Red Sox are winning, well, then there's nothing wrong. Because let's face it, how many of those guys who from the number one uh, farm system are going to become – 
future MLB players, let alone studs in the show. It's not many. It's not many. So when you want when you say you're going to go full throttle on a free agent class, mind you, that was loaded, absolutely loaded with Shohei Otani, with Yamamoto, even with the left-hander Shota uh, Imaga. Um, yeah, I, I definitely mispronounced that. But, you know, that's – you could have had a chance at these guys. But you're playing too damn conservative. And it's pissing me off, quite frankly. If I, I would call for an absolute boycott on going to Fenway Park this year. The problem with that is a lot of Red Sox fans are already boycotting. They're not paying the highest ticket price in Major League Baseball for this shit. They're not. But you know who is? The opposing fans. They are paying. They are the ones that are filling Fenway Park, beloved Fenway Park, cheering for the opposing team because they want to see it. They want to go to Fenway. And here's a great opportunity for them to do it because if Boston fans aren't going, ticket prices on the secondary market are going down and they're taking advantage of it. Traveling up to Boston, spending a couple days during the summer, you know, doing all the touristy stuff, probably going on the Freedom Trail, probably, um, you know, checking out the back bay, going to Cheers. And then they're going to Fenway and watching their team kick the Red Sox ass because there's nobody there. There's nobody good enough to withstand. or to play for a possible playoff position. Finishing last three of the last four years is wildly unacceptable. Wildly unacceptable. Especially the fact that you spent money. You spent a lot of money. Hell, your name is the Fenway Sports Group. Not the Liverpool Sports Group. Not the Roush racing sports group not the pittsburgh penguin sports group no you're the fenway sports group and you're treating this organization like it's a joke like it's an absolute joke and finishing three finishing three of the last four years dead last can't have it can't have it that's why I'm hoping the Bruins and the Celtics actually go all the way this year because I want to delay watching this Red Sox team as it currently stands for as long as I possibly can. And I'll tell you, once training camp starts up in August, I am picking back up on, on the Pats. I am. Because I, I, I can only imagine how this team is going to go. And – I do hope they prove me wrong. I hope this team watches this show, hears how bad, how badly I'm talking about them, and actually does something about it and becomes a good team. And if that's the case, I will bite my tongue and say, "You, good for you. 
good for you. You took, you took all my shit. You took all the shit and, you know, actually used it to your advantage. But the talent on this team, as it currently stands, I don't see it happening. If you want to get younger, fine. But don't sit here the year Shohei Otani becomes a free agent and says, we're going full throttle. Because I am 1,000% holding that against you. I am still pissed off you traded Mookie Betts. Because I now, I don't know if Mookie just was done with the city of Boston itself or bought, or the Red Sox weren't paying him enough. It could have been both. It could have been one or the other. But money fixes a lot of things. And I truly believe that if we paid him what he should have been offered, because let's face it, John Lester, what, the only reason why we got rid of John Lester is because we threw him a laughable offer. And he still wanted to stay. He still wanted to stay. Xander Bogarts, same freaking thing. You know, the a, a guy who is the captain, instrumental, a heart of this organization. We said to them, "Not nah, you're only worth this much. When in reality, they were worth this much. So, like, I'm even off the screen at how low they undersold Lester and Bogarts. So, yeah, I can only imagine the number that they first gave to Mookie Betts. He probably spit in their face, and rightfully so. So it's going to be a wild year. At least, like I said, we have the Bruins and the Celtics. I hope they make as long a run as humanly possible and win the whole damn thing because I really don't want to watch the Red Sox. I really don't. I'm going to, but I don't. Because it's only just going to be misery, misery, misery. All because... This ownership group that is named the Fenway Sports Group has treated this team, this historic franchise, this once proud franchise. We lost for 86 years. We didn't win the World Series for 86 years, but yet we were proud. We love this team. We came to the ballpark every single year during those losing streaks. Because at least those teams actually tried. They gave a damn. And it was sad. It's sad to see how these guys have really uh, turned this once proud organization into the laughingstock of baseball. So I want to thank you guys uh, for listening to my podcast the first episode of the Boston Sports Summit here exclusively on the Grid Network. You can follow me below on Twitter, on Instagram. Thank you so much. I am excited. I will be back here next Wednesday talking some more Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox because I'm a diehard Boston sports fan. There are no four teams I would rather talk about more them teams that I grew up watching and players I idolized. So I'm excited. Hope you take this trip with me because it's going to be a fun one. And let me know your thoughts. You can hit me up 
on my Twitter at BOS Sports Summit. You can hit me up on my Instagram, Boston Sports Summit. You can even hit me up on my Gmail, Boston Sports Summit at gmail.com. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. You can find it on Apple, Spotify. If you can't make the live show, that's no problem. And to everybody who commented tonight, thank you so much. Very appreciative. And for the Boston Sports Summit, very first episode, I am your host, you know, Tim Barnard, and I am pumped to be here on the Grid Network. Thank you guys, and have a great night.